0: Ever have that feeling that it might be time to have your roof replaced, but you just ignore it because nobody wants to pay for a new roof? What if you could have your roof rejuvenated at a fraction of the cost of a new one? The company who can do this is called RoofMax, and they can extend the life of your roof from 5 to 15 years, guaranteed. There's a lot of science to this, which I can't really explain here, but if you want to save a lot of money, you should check out RoofMax.com to see exactly how they do it. Think you need a new roof? Think again. RoofMax.com.
1: I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you with us. Carol Zernial, our co-host on special assignment today, but never fear, we have a great fill-in. Tina Smith is Director of Caregiver Program Operations for the Wellman Charitable Foundation. Tina has a master's degree in social gerontology from the University of Central Missouri. She's got a BS in psychology from the University of Missouri at Columbia, and she is the Director of Caregiver Program Operations for the Caregiver SOS Program, throughout the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And we are delighted, Tina, to have you with us again. And about 30 plus years working in the field of aging. You have been there. You have done that.
2: I have have seen quite a bit, uh, but there's always still more to learn for sure. So I appreciate uh, getting to be here with everybody today.
1: Well, thank you. And we have a really interesting program today. We're going to be joined. Voices of Alzheimer's is what we're talking about. Jim Taylor is our special guest. He received an MBA from the University of Chicago and had a successful career in IBM finance. His wife Jerry was diagnosed in 2012 with mild cognitive impairment, later identified as Alzheimer's disease. Jerry and Jim have spoken in over 20 to over 20,000 people across the country and in Europe addressing the stigma of Alzheimer's, living well with dementia, and promoting clinical trial participation and Jim has been a, really the organizational force behind voices of Alzheimer's, whose mission is to promote the prompt approval and equitable coverage of new treatments for the disease. And Jim Taylor, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you so much, Ron and Tina, for inviting us to be with you today. Talk to us about uh, that day when you began to realize that uh, your wife,
1: Jerry, uh, was dealing with the onset of uh, cognitive uh, uh, disorders.
0: It's a, it's an interesting place to start, Ron. My wife, Jerry, is a nurse and a healthcare administrator for many years, and uh, uh, she has familial Alzheimer's. So it was inherited from each parent. Actually, passed a a gene that increases the uh, likelihood that she will develop Alzheimer's. And it was she who noticed her symptoms and self-diagnosed. She mentioned them to me occasionally, and I would deny them. You know, well, what was she seeing? Uh, she lost her train of thought in a staff meeting at one point and turned the meeting over to her staff. She got off the subway in New York City at the wrong stop and didn't know what had happened. She had trouble getting the blinds up and down, you know, simple some simple tasks. But the, the Rubicon came really when she went into the bathroom one day, Ron, and didn't recognize her own face. So after that happened, we made an appointment uh, with a neurologist and went to see him. And he diagnosed mild cognitive impairment, which is most frequently a precursor to Alzheimer's disease. Well, for Jerry, it was mostly a validation of what she had anticipated. For me, it was really just uh, devastating news. I hadn't for a minute accepted that my brilliant wife had any cognitive issues. So I really needed two or three weeks just to be despaired and uh, try to recover.
1: Had you not noticed that there were some issues with her memory and recall?
0: I had not. An interesting thing uh, called cognitive reserve uh, gives people who, with intelligence or with lifelong learning, uh, with healthy lifestyle, really have good reserve in being able to mask their symptoms. And uh, that's what Jerry had relied on to really uh, not, mm-hmm. not not make it apparent that she was. Plus, it was very early in in the disease cycle. Yeah.
2: You really want to keep it to go out. You don't want it to come in so soon. <laughs> <laughs> say, and, and as, go ahead. I was just going to say it's pretty remarkable that she identified the symptoms herself first uh, because a lot of times with family members, as well as the person, I mean, like you said, it's a devastating diagnosis. And so you want to think we just see a lot of explaining away some of those some of those things and when you can look back in hindsight that's when you see the culmination of of a lot of those symptoms but that's like I said it's pretty remarkable that she herself took that step and, and talked to you about her concerns. That,
0: that's a very good point Diane uh, Tina and I think the you know that's the stigma that society mm-hmm. imposes on us makes us really want to repress that thought and uh, hide from it as long as possible. And the mind, I think, kind of protects us from things that we don't want to know. Jerry, having been a nurse and uh, healthcare administrator, really didn't have that stigma. I think uh, with the disease, she'd had a uh, actually a unit reporting to her.
1: Talk to me in just a minute about uh, your motivation for coming out front and addressing the. Uh, of the disease firsthand, talking about your own situation. For those who just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you with us, Tina Smith, our co-host today, Carol Zernial on special assignment. And so Jim and Jerry, uh, you both early on, uh, as the diagnosis came in, uh, you determined that you're not going to hide in the closet. Why? Why did you do that?
0: (laughs) Well, for Jerry, it was a continuing uh, journey for her as uh, as a nurse and, and caretaker to really continue to help others. For me, it was an experience I'd never had before, Ron. It was going outside myself and caring about something that was primarily directed at benefiting the community of those people living with Alzheimer's. We decided we wanted to live the next 10 or 15 years as well, uh, as passionately, as rewarding as we could. So we resolved that we would take greater risks that we would kind of live outside our own safety zones to try to be as uh, as enriched uh, as possible. And it's really had incredibly wonderful returns. I can't uh, speak- Talk
1: to of, me about, you've gone out and spoken literally across the country and in Europe. What's the message you bring to people?
0: We want people to know that a diagnosis is not uh, a sentence to terrible- future that there is joy, there is passion, there is wonderful opportunities after diagnosis of dementia. For many years, Ron, it continues to just be a disease in which you are, are forgetful. People forget about, it's a spectrum. You know, you start just a little forgetful, and of course the end is difficult for the person with the disease and the care partner, but there are many, many years in which one can really live richly. They can uh, enjoy their bucket list, or they can choose to be advocates and and really help other people, which is, uh a reward that I had not anticipated.
1: What was on Jerry's bucket list?
0: Uh, <laughs> she didn't have a great bucket list, actually. No. Uh, it was more, I think, finding, we'd all, often talked about finding uh, something we could do together uh, in retirement. And I think that's what we were looking for, but we never found it. It found us. Right.
1: <laughs> and that was addressing Alzheimer's.
0: That's exactly right and uh, encouraging people not just to live a full and passionate life, but we also wanted people to uh, consider joining a clinical trial. You may be aware that, Very recently, in the last year or two, we've had major breakthroughs in medication for Alzheimer's disease. Two FDA-approved drugs now that slow the rate of decline. This is the first time we have had a breakthrough like this. It's called a disease-modifying therapy. This can only come about just like the COVID vaccine because thousands of people participate in clinical trials. Less than 1% of people with Alzheimer's in the United States participates in trials. So we really try to talk about the advantages and the the imperative of really helping us find a cure for this disease and encouraging people to enrich their lives by participating in a trial.
1: Now, Tina, Smith and I are in San Antonio, Texas, and you had mentioned uh, that you have been to Austin. I'm assuming you went there to talk to the legislature?
0: Uh, no actually we uh, we spoke uh, first at uh, a church there in Austin that wanted to hear our message and then the Alzheimer's association had heard us then and invited us back uh it was a very a humorous episode there the minister uh, introduced us at the church we had about 150 people and he said well ha, now how, remind me how long you're speaking and i said well usually it's an hour to an hour and 50 minutes he said what He said, you know, I never speak more than 20 minutes. He said, can you cut it in half? This was like two minutes before we went on stage. And I said, no. He said, well, don't take it personal. People start to walk out after half an hour. So, you know, after 90 minutes, you know, we had Q's and A's and everybody stayed and we had to he had to stop it, actually. to end the. And we went off stage and he turned to me and said, you know, I think I better rethink my material. So (laughs) (laughs) interesting, interesting from a minister. (laughs)
1: Now, when you talk to a group like that, what kind of questions do you get from the audience?
0: Oh, boy, we've had, well, some of the ones you've already asked. We once were asked if we had a suicide pact. Uh, We were once asked, you know, how do you uh, encourage a doctor to treat you like other patients? You're old and you have a a fatal illness. Uh, How is it that you uh, don't... uh, tolerate their their indifference to you, which was a wonderful question for the audience, especially for anybody dealing with aging, as you all both well know. So uh, it was a very thoughtful and very good answer. Jerry handled that one and handled it beautifully. But those are the things that concern people. And, you know, as we age, we all need to find out how we stay relevant to society, how we stay rewarded and involved and how we address the issues of aging that not just people with Alzheimer's, but many individuals encounter. And that's and from the medical community where you would not expect it, but it's very prevalent.
2: You mentioned earlier just the stigma of this disease, and um, it used to be. I heard someone compare it to like back in the the 1950s, like cancer. You know, it was that C word. You didn't talk about cancer. I mean, even today, you don't talk about dementia all that you don't hear it as much and so and as you know you know i'm sure you know it can be very isolating and so yeah. a lot of caregivers and persons living with dementia can feel that isolation but uh what would you say to caregivers how you know how would you encourage them to to speak out more about the disease their their loved one even persons living with an early stage of, of uh, alzheimer's
0: people need to first i believe Tina deal emotionally with the diagnosis, both the care partner and the person with the disease. And that takes a while. It took me six months because I was very impacted. But after that time, you know, and in that time you grieve, you're sad, you go through some of the stages of death. But after that, one can decide and make a choice to live courageously. And that's what Jerry and I did. We believe that it's a choice whether you live well with the disease or you decide to sit home on the couch and feel sorry for yourself. And I think it's a caregiver decision and it's a, a, a patient decision. And we encourage people to live this life courageously. And we talk about the rewards that we have gotten because of the choices that we have made.
1: Stay with me just a minute. We're going to come right back to you. And for those of you who have been joining us today, we're delighted to have you aboard on Caregiver SOS on Air. We're talking about Voices of Alzheimer's with Jim and Jerry Taylor we're talking about his experience as a caregiver for his wife, a distinguished nurse and administrator who is with us as well. And you have heard her jump into the conversation as well. Tina Smith, our co-host with me today. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us today on Caregiver SOS on air. Well, thank you so much for listening to Caregiver SOS on air. We're delighted to have you with us. We come to you every week with a discussion of an issue, a problem, some accomplishments involved in caregiving with more than 60 million caregivers across this country, but most thinking they are the lone rangers. We try to bring you the latest information and help that can make that job easier and more manageable. Caregiver SOS on air takes a look at trends across this country. We provide tips on how to be a better caregiver. And most importantly, where you can go for help on Caregiver SOS on air. We try to give you what you need to make that caregiving manageable and to provide you with the help that can make your life easier. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial and I are delighted to co-host this program, and we're thrilled you've joined us on the award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air podcast available everywhere, brought to you by WellMed Charitable Foundation. Hello, friends. We are so pleased you were with us today on the award-winning Caregiver SOS On Air. Remember, our podcasts are available wherever you get your podcast, or you may be listening to us over the air on a radio station in your community. Either way, you can be part of Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial is on special assignment today, not with us, but Tina Smith is filling in, and we're delighted to have Tina with us. Voices of Alzheimer's is what we were talking about with Jim and Jerry Taylor. Jerry diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and Jim, who is her spouse and caretaker, uh, we're talking with both of them about what that experience is like. Uh, You had mentioned that when you speak to groups, you get a number of questions uh, from folks in the audience. Part of the issue, of course, with Alzheimer's, uh, Jim, and I know you're very much aware of this, is the fear that many of us, I happen to be 81 years old, uh, many of us have that we're going to get it.
0: It's, it's, For seniors, people over 65, it is the greatest fear um, for health concerns, uh, much more so than cancer or heart disease or other. And you think about that and uh, you quickly realize, Ron, well, it is, has been until recently, the only uh, leading cause of death that does not have any uh, treatment to slow, prevent, or cure the disease. But now that's beginning to change. And we hope that uh, once people learn more about the disease and see people like ourselves out in society, speaking, trying to live full lives rather than hide, which the stigma has caused some people to do, uh that it will be more just like Tina mentioned earlier, the C word, the cancer had that stigma. We hope we want to fight that stigma every day. And part of it, we, we do part way we do that is just by being present and encouraging other people to have the courage, be there, be shown, be in your seat, speak up defend yourselves, speak out for our rights.
1: Now, you mentioned something early on I want to come back to, because it truly got my attention, and I'm sure Tina as well. You mentioned that, well, Jerry had seen things that troubled her, had seen indications that perhaps uh, dementia was there. It wasn't until in the bathroom she looked in the mirror and did not recognize herself that she triggered, let's go to a doctor. What, what was that like for her, Jim? And, and Jerry, if you want to jump in, uh, you look at yourself and you don't see yourself.
0: I, she, she has described it as, as pretty unpleasant, uh, as fearful. Um, it's, not, it's, a, it's a rare early stage uh, symptom and uh, d- d- hasn't happened frequently. But just that one encounter really sent us to, to the neurologist. And it, it's sobering, of course. And it really gave her the courage and the knowledge that now is the time we have to address this.
1: Because I know every time I forget somebody's name or every time I get lost in the middle of a sentence, I figure, oh, my God, it's all over.
0: Right. And that's part of natural aging. Most people, as they get to be as old as you are, Ron, 81, Terry's just 80, but uh, they they do. She's a spring chicken. A spring chicken here. They do begin to encounter uh, age appropriate cognitive challenges. And some people do not. We we, remarkable people who are in their 90s, uh, who are still very clear minded, but uh, myself included with you. have some issues. And it's important to differentiate those between a diagnosis of dementia. And there are 10 warning signs that are available on the Alzheimer's Association's website that you can look at and try to help you differentiate between the two.
1: Tina, what are the questions you get from caregivers on this issue?
2: Well, you know, I was just going to say a lot of times when someone is newly diagnosed or there are concerns, uh, you know, it's just what's next? You know, what do, what do I do with this? Because I think we see in a lot of doctor's offices is that there's not a lot of next steps for, for this diagnosis. Sometimes there might be, you know, Alzheimer's Association or other community resources. But, you know, Jim, what did you what did you find? Uh, you know, what were
0: you're right on top of it, Tina. We left the office. This was, of course, over 10 years ago without any, uh, information about the disease, no information about going to a support organization like the Alzheimer's Association and no information about joining a clinical trial. That is, is changing. Uh, we're, we're modifying that and many more, uh, support, uh, Alternatives are being offered to people early on, but we encourage people, first of all, to educate themselves as much as possible. Learn about the symptoms, learn about the treatments, learn about your community facilities because knowledge is an antidote to fear and don't live in fear. Educate yourself. And, you know, so many people, once they know more and can reach out and be supported, uh, Really discover that they can live a full and uh, successful life for the next 10 or 15 years.
2: And I think one of the challenges is accepting that help. I think is, you know, as a society, we're very independent. We're, you know, I'm gonna take care of this for better or for worse and all of that. So um just a, another piece of advice for me, what would you tell caregivers? Because again, that's not something that people plan for. They just kind of some oftentimes just find themselves in that spot, but how do you accept that help and how do you seek that out?
0: It's a very good question. I think the help, it's it's very important that early in the disease that we build our support community, we bring our friends. We were very public uh, very quickly about the disease. And it's interesting because our, our friends, our family, our support group have kind of moved th- through this journey with us. And they've known how Jerry has changed over time, but they're there and ready for us. And I think it's kind of a natural process. You don't need a lot of help in the beginning. You just need to build that that community, that support group. Now I'm reaching the point, as Jerry has advanced in the disease, that help is more appreciated. And I think it's kind of a natural process. Uh, one one kind of learns themselves because of the mistakes and the difficulties. That it's very very important. One that a health that the health help provider, the care partner, takes care of their own personal health, which is often not addressed, and that's a, a big problem. Because they can't care care for the person they love if they aren't well themselves. And then building that support and getting help.
1: What are some of the helps that you need now that you didn't five, six, seven years ago?
0: Well, um, I think... Jerry's we always spoke previously about uh 50/50 whenever we'd speak so uh now I have to do most of the pr- the presentations alone and uh you know I would much rather have her there because she's much more engaging and much more, more attractive and uh has <laughs> a wonderful sense of humor and there was you know there was a much better dialogue when she was uh, as verbal as she was and uh we we've lost a great voice for the disease And so I try to find other things that, uh, you know, spur up our presentations and our ability. We're lining up services uh, as we need them. Um, COVID, of course, isolated many of us, but then also improved uh, home delivery services. And that's nice, too. I don't have to be out as frequently. And that, that has worked well.
1: Now, talk to us about the organization that you're spearheading. Voices of Alzheimer's. What's the goal, and how can people who are listening get involved?
0: Ron, thank you for that question. Uh, Our website is voicesofad.com. We formed this organization just over a year ago. Uh, If you look at the history of Medicare, you'll see a unique discrimination, we believe, against people with Alzheimer's. Um, They have not reimbursed uh, tests that were available for other diseases, most all other diseases, and uh, even initially they have not agreed to cover the disease modifying therapies that were approved by the FDA. No other class of drugs that are FDA approved have been denied immediate and clear approval. So, we formed this organization uh as a lobbying group, a more aggressive group to push back uh against the f d a to call them out not the f d a excuse me against Medicare to call them out in what we felt was unfair treatment and we've made progress they have uh agreed to cover these new drugs finally, but they uh, restrict them in a way requiring a registry that no other drug class uh, is, is penalized with. So we still feel that they are not completely embracing our disease like they do cancer or any other life-threatening disease. Of course, so- Jim,
1: it's important to point out uh, those new drugs are incredibly expensive.
0: They are, uh, with especially without Medicare. Uh, hopefully with Medicare, they will be. But the surprising thing, Ron, is uh, breakthrough drugs and other um, diseases have been priced much higher than the Alzheimer's drugs. They are in the bottom 25% of breakthrough category drugs. And uh, with Medicare coverage, uh, it's, uh, certainly remains very, uh, expensive for folks. And as an advocacy organization, Voices of Alzheimer's is trying to get the prices down as quickly as possible, but additional drugs being approved will help drive competition to hopefully have a choice of treatments and provide, uh, lower price points.
1: And I know one of the things you, you are encouraging people to do is to participate in clinical
0: trials. Yes, uh, yes. If we're ever going to find a cure, it's really essential. Many, many trials are delayed years because they cannot fill the required number of people to be in a trial. And people don't realize the advantages of being in a trial. You get continual medical supervision in a trial. Um, People are concerned about getting the placebo, but they don't realize if you're not in a trial, you're on the placebo for the rest of your life. And even uh, for those on the placebo, they get imp- much improved medical care and observation, not just medical, but neurolog- neurological care. So we really try to encourage people to at least consider, it's not the right thing for everybody, but at least to consider participating in a trial. Especially, Give us people- that, I'm sorry,
1: well, I, we're, we are flat out of time, but give okay. us that website again for Voices okay. of Alzheimer's.
0: It's voicesofad.com.
1: Jim and Jerry Taylor, thank you so much for sharing your story, and we look forward to talking to you again. You take care.
0: Thank take you very you. much, Ron. Thank you, t- Tina. Thanks so much
1: for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. For Tina Smith, I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you again soon. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zernial and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS on air.
2: This summer, you need clothes that you can wear anywhere. For that, look to American Giant t-shirts, shorts, jeans, and sweatshirts. American Giant makes everything in the USA, so when you buy, you create jobs and improve local communities all across the country. Shop summertime closet staples at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code WA23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com with promo code WA23.